0: To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. <laughs> Today is part one of a very special collaboration with an independent non profit publishing company based in San Francisco, McSweeney's, and the 71st issue of their Quarterly Concern. This was a special horror issue, uh, guest edited by a personal favourite author of mine, Brian Evanson. And from the website, they described the issue as thus Our first ever issue lent foray into horror and featuring one of our biggest lineups in some time. Our 71st issue is one for the ages guest edited by brian evanson mcsweeney's 71 the monstrous and the terrible is a hair-raising collection of fiction that would challenge the notion of what horror has been and suggest what 21st horror century is and can be and it's all packaged in a mind-bending nesting doll-like series of interlocking slipcases that must be seen to be believed by the way i have seen them and i still don't believe them (laughs) so the lovely folks over there got in touch about a collaboration the other stories and we jumped they had a chance to adapt one of the stories for, uh, for audio and the story that we chose is Here and Now and Then and Forever written by the Hungarian author Attila Veres it's a mind-bending strange almost Cronenbergian horror tale and it's split into two parts so if you enjoy it I strongly urge you to pick up the full book at McSweeney's.net, and the full link will be in the show notes for this episode but for now enjoy here and Now and Then and Forever, Part 1, written by Attila Varis and narrated by Jasmine Arch.
1: The most profound change came with her understanding of a very simple yet universal principle, that the nature of life depends on your perspective. And perspective is a matter of personal choice. The very same thing can be perceived either as an adversity or as an opportunity. There is no middle road, no third option, only a conscious choice between one or the other. The key to success is seeing an option of success, where others see only hardship. Some years ago, Yanka decided to switch perspectives, to see only the potential in every single encounter, conversation or situation no matter what. The room had a peculiar smell. It was the stench of absence soon to come, the fragrance of unbearable grief creeping ever closer. No disinfectant could vanquish it. It would linger here forever. The child lay in his sickbed, drifting somewhere between wakefulness and death. He reminded Yanka of a piece of half-dissolved soap. He was pale wrinkled and entirely hairless. Yanka took count of the auxiliary medications, the wet wipes, the painkillers, the exfoliating lotions, all placed on a small table beside the bed, a sorry assortment of final possessions. He was already scheduled for his next round of useless chemo. She was painfully aware of her window of time closing. She had to nail the deal right now. The child, Norby, she reminded herself, had shown no awareness of her presence. The painkillers had turned his senses away from the outside world. The child did not matter to Yanka. Only his mother did. Mothers could make or break a sale. Yanka looked away from the child and turned toward the parents. She had already mastered the mournful yet compassionate look required for such a delicate situation. Maybe I misunderstood you earlier, said the mother, and for an anxious moment, Yanka feared that her name had eluded her again. Then it came back. Krista. She was called Krista. Yanka repeated the name in her mind as the mother continued. But should we see this as complementary medication? Yanka spent her days at the Budapest Oncology Center waiting for the right person to walk in. She recognized them by the look in their eyes broken, with the sense of having already lost everything, yet holding a glimmer of hope no matter how desperate. These people were ready to do anything to keep that hope alive, and were open to Yanka and her pitch once she approached them. Krista was such a person, a potential customer. Yanka smiled confidently now. It was a smile she practiced a lot. The husband was called Balaj. He sat behind his wife, silent as stone. He was money, Yanka knew. She had checked his car in the oncology parking lot. A German-made SUV, no extras spared. They could easily afford her product. Still, his presence concerned Yanka. This product is not medication, Yanka said in the calm, soothing voice she was so proud of. It was one of her strengths. "'Not medication at all,' she repeated. "'I'm offering much more than a cure. "'I'm offering life itself. "'Please change your perspective for a moment. Norby's disease is a terrible thing. "'Yes, painful. "'Terrifying. "'Believe me, I know all too well. "'You're seeing it as a misfortune, "'but right now, it's also an opportunity. "'What I'm offering is not a product.' It's a precious gift, the gift of life itself. What we do is not a business, it's a mission. Krista nodded along with Yanka's words, ready to rationalize any method of hope. She wanted, no she needed, to believe so badly that Yanka felt a warmth spreading through her own chest. It was the warmth of certainty. The pitch was a done deal, for this gloriously crestfallen mother... No price was too high. Still, Balaj said in a deep voice that sounded almost obscene in the sacred quiet of the sick room. Could you be more specific? Yanka smiled again. I'm sure you've watched the video. I sent Krista a link. The footage of the flying people, Balaj asked. Yanka nodded, her smile unwavering. The footage she had sent them had already been seen all over the world. It had even made a splash in the mainstream media for a hot minute, but was quickly made obsolete by a never-ending supply of fresh horrors. It was shot at a high angle, from the top of a rock overlooking thick greenery, presumably a jungle. The footage documented two figures circling above the crowns of the trees, like birds of prey on a hunt. You couldn't see their faces, but you could tell there were faces, a pair of humanoids gliding through the air, gently flapping their immense wings. "'I saw this kind of footage years ago,' he continued. "'It's inconclusive. It might be a hoax, or some exotic animal.' "'I assure you, it is not a hoax,' Yanka said firmly. "'Nor are they animals. They're humans.' They've transcended our form and moved on to the next evolutionary stage. They've become so much more than us. They are airborne, sure, but that's not all. They are highly adaptive to their environment. They could survive on either salt or sweet water. They synthesize carbohydrates and minerals from the rays of the sun, like a plant, in case no other nutrient is available. What's all this for? whispered Krista. I only want to cure my son. Yanka nodded. Your son would be cured, but you need to understand the magnitude of this opportunity. Norby's disease is your most immediate concern, of course. Let's take a step back now and look at the wider picture. You're watching the news. You know what's going on in the world. Facts remain facts, even if we're still in denial about them. So let me be blunt. Our current form of civilization is nearing collapse. We've exhausted the planet's resources. Hunger wars have already broken out in several places all over Asia. And we're soon to follow. Crops have been failing all over the planet. The sea levels are rising, and the threat of nuclear… Balaj coughed politely. What's that got to do with our sun? For a split second. Yanka saw a glimpse of uncertainty in Krista's eyes. She knew it was crucial now to keep talking. We call it the here-and-now-and-then-and-forever principle. Here, in this room, Norby is sick. His chances of survival are slim. But if he starts our treatment now, then Norby will embark on the path of the new people. Once he has undergone our method, Not only will Norbi be healthy, but he will be superior to us, resistant to any sickness, resistant even to aging. Then, and only then, will Norbi live forever. Centuries from now, when our planet has already gotten rid of this pest called humanity, Norbi will live, along with those like him. I offer it all to you. To Norbi, he is the only thing that matters after all. And what better gift from his parents than not only life, but life eternal? Krista nodded again. Why can't we also subject ourselves to the treatment? Balaj asked. His voice was not cynical, only flat. That was a good sign. It only works before puberty, Yanka replied. How much does this opportunity cost? asked Balaj. The price of the treatment is 4,200,000 Hungarian forints, plus VAT. It covers all aspects of the process. We've got an installment plan if that's… No, that won't be necessary, Balaj said firmly as he stood up. He walked over to his son and planted a kiss on his pale forehead. Then he glanced at Janka. Let's go to my study and discuss the details, he said. She felt a flurry of birds within her heart. Finally, finally, a sale. She sprang from her chair and followed Balaj to the hall. Her fingers were already looking for the pre printed contract in her reticule when Balaj hit her in the stomach. Thick black pain spread through her insides. Until this very moment, Yanka had considered the man only as a potential customer, a father in search of hope for his son. She now saw her mistake all too clearly he was a man in search of some fertile soil for his hate to take root in. This soil was Yanka. Yanka felt as if her lungs had collapsed. She tried to crouch on the floor, but Balaj lifted her by the throat and pushed her against the wall. She was fifty kilograms of pure panic, too paralyzed to speak or think. Balaj was quick and methodical, He punched her three more times in her stomach and delivered two blows to the same spot along her ribcage. The severity of the pain was beyond what she thought possible. She couldn't even scream or cry for help. Her insides turned into a vacuum. Her limbs were ready to collapse like a ragdoll's. He kept her pinned to the wall. "'If I ever see you again,' the man roared in her face. "'I will follow you home and gouge out both your eyes.' Is that clear? Speech was impossible, so she only made a gurgling sound. You are the most disgusting piece of shit I have ever seen. Do you even understand what you're doing to us? To my wife? To my child? Giving us such false hope? How could you do this? Balaj hissed at her. His breath smelled of nicotine. He let go of her neck and she fell to the floor. She curled up coiling around the pain in her bowels, something wet struck her face. Balash had spit on her. She sensed a warmth underneath. It was the only good thing in her life right now. It was floor heating, she realized a moment later. Yanka was overcome with an absurd sense of gratitude. At least she didn't have to lie shivering on a cold floor as she waited for her refill of pain. You are lucky my son is home now, the man growled. I'll give you thirty seconds to get the fuck out of here. The human body, what a wonder. No matter how numbing the pain was, exactly thirty seconds later, Yanka was outside. She cried only at home. She cried only in the kitchen. Right after she had decided to change her perspective and be successful, She had decorated her kitchen walls with motivational posters, floor to ceiling. It was a safe place. Even after she changed perspective and saw only possibility in everything, she would still have days that demanded more than she could offer. Days when her life goals appeared far out of reach. Days when she was tempted to quit. Maybe not only her current life mission or job, as less aspiring people might call it, But life in general. Quit for good. The posters helped. They codified certain truths. You just had to follow their guidance from poster to poster. Success takes confidence. The only thing separating successes from failures is that failures quit. Quitting is for the weak. Weakness is disrespect. Respect yourself to build confidence. Confidence. They made it sound so easy. There was nothing to it. Anyone could succeed. They just had to follow these simple truths and pieces of wisdom. That thought hurt Yonka more than the beating. It was all so simple, and yet she had failed. She shed her clothes. Her flesh was a vessel of pain, her skin a topography of bruises. She looked around to take stock of a room, but all she saw was her life in disarray. The only items organized neatly were a stack of unpaid utility bills. The sight of those bills twisted something within her. Like so many prisons, they redirected her self-hatred, gave it another color and form. Soon she found herself angry at the family she had visited today. These people had the luxury of floor-heating, floor heating in these times, and yet they denied their own child the opportunity of survival. What was worse, they had denied Yanka her money, money she needed to pay those bills, money she needed right now. Leaflets and advertising kits were scattered over the kitchen counter, as well as blank contracts and plastic cards, tokens signifying a family's right to the treatment, She'd had to buy a dozen of them in advance to enter the business. They'd said this was going to be the chance of a lifetime. That this was a foolproof business model. Money would flow in from two sources, direct sales and recruitment. Direct sales sounded easy. Parents would gladly shell out money to save their sick child. It made sense to her. Recruitment sounded harder, but more lucrative. Each recruit would need to buy a dozen treatment packages, this time from Yonker. She figured a dozen recruits with a dozen packages each meant a lot of money. And once they recruited a dozen more recruits, business would really take off. She'd be moving treatment packages like hotcakes. The cash would earn itself, basically. And so she'd poured all her money into this. But none was flowing back to her. Direct sales were harder than they had seemed at first. She blamed the product. It would be so much easier to hawk miracle salt or anti-cancer water or whatever other bullshit the competition was selling. Those items sold an outright lie, but at least they carried a clear message of hope. Easy to pitch, unlike the product she was pushing. Of course, she knew it wasn't the product's fault. It was hers alone. She knew it was a hard sell, but by the time she was recruited, she had already made the switch in perspective. She saw opportunity instead of adversity. Where had it all gone so wrong? Perhaps she was the weakling her posters warned her about. The one who exists solely as a measuring stick, as a warning to others. Maybe it was time to accept this. Her window for success was closing fast. She was already well into her 40s. The bills were stacking up, and she had run out of people to lend her money. She considered her options. They were limited. Seeking a job instead of a life mission meant giving up on success for good. A life without even the possibility of success was not worth living. And she started weighing the pros and cons of using a blade versus swallowing pills. There was a catch, though. Suicide was only a glorified version of quitting, of giving up. Successful people didn't quit. They never gave up. And as Yanka went over the possible methods, she realized every success story she knew had a dark chapter. This would be hers. When she looked back from a later, more successful era of life, this would be a teachable moment. She only needed to somehow persevere. The thought of suicide proved soothing it offered a plausible option sometime in the future. She could even make suicide a life goal, if necessary. It would give her a final moment of success. She was rewarded for her resolve later that night with a phone call. The phone ID'd the number only as Thursday sale. It was Krista. Yanka answered. There was a hesitant silence on the other end. Yanka was determined not to speak first. Is it true? the woman asked in a small voice. And Yanka knew that Krista had spent these past hours researching footage, reading articles and forums discussing the method, assessing the details of Yanka's pitch. Yanka had been through this phase of research herself. Krista had found nothing of relevance. The company maintained online obscurity and confusion as a general policy. Of course it's true, said Yanka. Her voice quivered. She would cry again, she knew she would. She grabbed her throat exactly where Balage had held her earlier, hoping it would force back the sobs. Her eyes were stinging, but she kept the tears in. She scolded herself for this lack of control, but decided to play it in her favor, to let Krista hear these emotions as a show of sincerity. How could I possibly do this if I didn't believe, if I wasn't sure? I only want the best for the future generation. The best. For a split second, she stopped, anxiously hoping that Krista would interpret this sudden pause as a struggle with tears. She was always bad at names, but it finally came to her. For Norby, at the other end of the line, Krista started weeping, and just like that, Yanka's need for tears vanished. She was focused on selling again. I want to see them, the children. the treatment, Krista sent through her sobs. I want to see if it's all true. Yanka felt the flurry of birds deep in her chest again. She did not hesitate. Not a problem. Let me call you back once I secure an appointment, she said. She made it sound so easy. It was not easy. It was impossible.
0: I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the other stories here and now and then and forever it was written by Attila Veres, translated to English by Luca Karafiev, narrated by Jasmine Arch produced by Duncan Muggleton with music by Duncan Muggleton and Tom Robson and sound effect provided by freesound.org a quick thanks to our community managers Joshua Boucher and Jasmine Arch and to Joshua Boucher for helping with our submission reading and of course to Ben Arrington for the ongoing explosion of content he fires out of his social media canon Attila Vérez is a Hungarian writer of horror and word fiction. His first novel, Odakint Shoteteb, was a surprise success in his native country and was followed by the short story collection Ifeli Iskolaík. His fiction appears regularly in Black Ether, a magazine dedicated to Hungarian cosmic horror, as well as in literary magazines. As a screenwriter, he's written many several short and feature-length films all over Europe and won the Best Television Screenplay Award at the 2020 Hungarian Film Awards for the TV feature Lives Recurring. He is originally from Nürrikhasa, but currently lives in Budapest. His story, The Time Remaining, was chosen to represent Hungary in the Valancourt Book of World Horror Stories, and The Black Maybe is his full-length English debut. Jasmine Arch is a writer, poet, narrator, podcaster and all-round chaos for brains. She lives in a nook of Belgian countryside with two horses, four dogs and a husband who knows better than to distract her when she's writing. Her work has appeared or is forthcoming in The Other Stories, NewMyths.com and Hybrid Fiction, among others. Find out more about her and her work at jasminearch.com. McSweeney's is an independent, non-profit publishing company based in San Francisco. As well as operating a daily humour website, they also publish Timothy McSweeney's Quarterly Concern, Illustoria, and an ever-growing collection of books and the various imprints. You can buy all of those things from their online store, you can make a donation, and for more, head over to McSweeney's.net. The Other Stories is a production of the story studio Hawk and Cleaver, and it's brought to you with a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. That means don't change it, don't sell it, but by all means share the hell out of it. So, until next time.